Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Advancing liberty and justice also requires protecting the rights of women. Addressing the nation, President Joe Biden vows to protect access to abortion and calls on the Senate to confirm pro-abortion judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee joins us to discuss the State of the Union address and Republican Senator's recent defeat of the Women's Health Protection Act. Tackling pro-life concerns, pro-life medical professionals attended this year's Pro-Life Medical Educational Conference hosted by the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Dr. Christina Francis, chair of the board at APLOG, joins to discuss key issues at hand, such as chemical abortion drugs and the importance of caring for both mother and baby. Showing up for yourself. Catholic author and beauty consultant Nicole Caruso shares how fashion can play a role in women's recognition of their unique dignity and worth. In his first State of the Union address, President Joe Biden continued to push pro-abortion policies as he vowed to protect access to abortion. Advancing liberty and justice also requires protecting the rights of women. The constitutional right affirmed by Roe v. Wade, standing precedent for half a century, is under attack as never before. The president, a Catholic, stated that Roe v.ersus Wade is under attack. His disturbing remarks and reaffirmation of Roe came just one day after the so-called Women's Health Protection Act failed to pass in the Senate. Pro-life groups are more fittingly calling it the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act. We spoke to pro-life lawmakers on Capitol Hill. This is what they had to say. Where everything he does is very, very progressive, and everything has worked out very, very badly. Obviously, he's come down very hard on the side of us. Uh, not pro-life, rather pro-abortion. He's nominated uh, an abortion activist to the Supreme Court. President Joe Biden nominated pro-abortion judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court late last month. If confirmed, she would become the first black female justice on the high court. Even though he was a devout Catholic at one time and knew that it was an abomination to think you could kill a child in its mother's womb, now he's fine with that because that's politically correct what the people on his side of the aisle want him to do. President Biden has in the past voted for pro-life legislation, but as vice president and president, the Catholic Democrat has continuously pushed for radical pro-abortion legislation. If you want to go forward, not backwards, we must protect access to health care, preserve a woman's right to choose, and continue to advance maternal health care for all Americans. In the affirmative, the motion is not agreed to. Meanwhile, the Pro-Abortion Women's Health Protection Act, which would nullify every state and federal pro-life law already in place, failed to pass in the U.S. Senate. Rather than listen to the American people who don't want late-term abortion or a federal abortion mandate, the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act would enshrine in federal law the most far-reaching goals of the predatory abortion industry. Virginia Myers, a pro-life advocate and single mother, opposes pro-abortion legislation. She says her daughter's smile is worth the fight for unborn lives. Having a little girl who's seven months old <laughs> smiling at me here. Um, I want her to grow up in a country that will protect her and all babies that um, may not be 
born into a situation that um, may be favorable, but all lives matter. And joining us now via Zoom is Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Senator Blackburn, thanks for joining us. In his State of the Union speech, President Biden claimed that there is an attack on Roe versus Wade and doubled down on his commitment to protect access to abortion. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are they tried this bill and they couldn't get it through the Senate, but they are determined to preempt all local and state laws. What they want to do is make abortion available to women up until the time of delivery. They like the idea of having late-term abortions, and of course, we know that is so far outside the mainstream of what not only the American citizen wants, but look around the globe and look at how few countries would ever allow such. And President Biden also called for increased efforts to improve maternal health care in our country. But our current laws, as you mentioned, allow for the innocent killing of unborn children, which leaves mothers wounded and alone. How can we promote the well-being of mothers when we're not caring for their unborn children as well, Senator? One of the things that we have seen as we've worked on the life issues uh, through the decades is that science is on our side in this issue because women go in, they get an ultrasound, they can see the baby, they know the baby's sex, they are planning for this baby, they give the baby uh, a name, uh, they have the nursery ready to go, clothes are ready to go, and science has helped to give individuals uh, to give expectant moms and their families that little window and opportunity to see that that baby is growing, maturing, they're hearing heartbeats, they're following this life every single step of the way. Mm. That is a very good thing for us. Now, it seems that as the Democratic Party has pushed further and further to the left, that there is less room in the Democrat Party for pro-life Democrats. Indeed, we've seen that take place all across the country. And I think that is very disappointing. I know women who have been Democrats all their life, but they are pro-life and they are choosing to classify themselves as independents mm. politically simply because of this issue. And many of them are Catholic and they are very devout in their faith and they cannot agree with a party whose principle stands for allowing these children, they're in the mother's womb, for that life to be lost, mm. for that life to be ended. And speaking of moving farther left, President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, is meeting with senators ahead of her confirmation process right now. In your view, is she qualified to serve on the Supreme Court? As a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, what I will do is visit with her. I will do that in the coming uh, few couple of weeks. She will then come before us at the Senate Judiciary Committee for a hearing. I'm going to spend some time reviewing her rulings, her writings, preparing for my one-on-one -on -one meeting for her, then preparing for the hearing.
Mm. And Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, thanks so much for joining us and for standing up for life in the Senate. Got it. Thank you. And joining us now via Skype is Mallory Carroll, Vice President of Communications at the Susan B. Anthony List. Mallory, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, Prudence. Can't wait to be in the studio with you soon. <laughs> Thanks. I want to first get your thoughts on the Women's Health Protection Act, which failed a vote in the Senate this week. I know SBA List has issued a memo detailing just how extreme this legislation is. Can you give us the top lines from that? Yes, this is the most pro-abortion piece of legislation that the Senate has ever voted on. It would undo every single state law limiting abortion and most federal laws limiting abortion. So we're talking about any state that's passed a ban on abortion at 15 weeks or 20 weeks, any protections for babies with disabilities, um, any waiting periods, informed consent legislation to make sure mothers know the procedure that they're about to undergo. This bill would have the effect of canceling those state laws. It's completely unconstitutional, and thanks be to God, it did not pass. But the, this is, you know, the abortion lobby and pro-abortion Democrats in the Senate showing their true colors on the cusp, you know, as we're waiting for Roe versus Wade to be overturned in the Dobbs decision. They are pulling out all the stops to try and enshrine abortion on demand, uh, whatever means possible. Mm. And White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki released a statement right after the vote stating that pro-life laws stand in, quote, open defiance of the U.S. Constitution. Your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, we can do a control find uh, on any PDF document of the Constitution. The right to abortion does not exist. Um, and so there's nothing unconstitutional about it. I would say, though, that the Women's Health Protection Act, um, that in itself is unconstitutional. It completely violates the concept of separation of powers and the the, the differences that exist between the state and federal government. There is no way that the federal government can tell states who have passed laws by duly elected legislators that they can't have pro-life laws that pa they've passed that, that, um, that reflect the will of the people, especially when the Constitution is absolutely, absolutely silent on the issue of abortion. But hopefully the Supreme Court will soon overturn Roe versus Wade, which is probably what um, the, the press secretary is referring to there. Um, but this, this may be precedent, but it is unconstitutional precedent and Hopefully soon Roe versus Wade will be overturned. Mm, and that's such an important point when we see so many pro-life laws being passed, a record number last year. Let's focus now on the State of the Union speech last night. What's your reaction? Were you surprised that Joe Biden mentioned Roe versus Wade? I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, the abortion lobby about two weeks ago sent an open letter to the president asking him for a full-hearted endorsement of the Women's Health Protection Act, you know, and to, to make abortion rights and abortion access a major portion of his speech. And he failed to do that. Um, but he, of course, still used the opportunity to use the euphemisms of choice of the pro-choice movement to talk about, you know, uh, enshrining abortion on demand. I thought it was interesting. He said he included abortion and maternal health in the same sentence. Um, you know, abortion is not maternal health. Abortion wounds a mother. Um, but the abortion lobby certainly didn't get what they wanted last night. But they have gotten everything they want, Prudence, from this pro-abortion administration. Uh, you take a look at our website, sbalist.org, we've got a rundown of all of the pro-abortion action that this administration has taken, in more pro-abortion even than the Obama administration in terms of um, undoing pro-life um, 
executive actions done by the previous president, um, expanding taxpayer funding of abortion, and supporting radical radical legislation like this abortion on demand up until the moment of birth act. Mm. Well, thank you for all you do. Mallory Carroll of the Susan B. Anthony List, great to have you on. Thanks, Prudence. The pro-life issue is front and center in the courts, in the law, and in the hearts and minds of the American people. Soon, the court will announce its decision in the Dobbs case, which could reverse Roe v. Wade. Now, more than ever, we must pray for an end to abortion and for the modernization of our laws to respect the dignity of unborn children. That brings us to this week's Call to Action. Go to ProLifeWeekly.com to learn about how you can join a weekly call to pray for the outcome of the Dobbs case and an end to abortion in America. SBA List is partnering up with Pro-Life leaders across the country to pray for just 15 minutes on Monday nights at 8.30 p.m. Last week's call featured Vice President Mike Pence. To join the call this coming Monday, simply dial 833-380-0736. The American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the American College of Pediatricians just held its annual conference focused on empowering medical professionals to defend life. The conference, themed Caring for Both, was held in Nashville, Tennessee from February 25th through the 27th. The three-day event addressed the most pressing issues of the day facing pro-life physicians. Attendees were provided with educational resources throughout the weekend and equipped with the tools to advocate for the rights of all their patients and their own rights as pro-life doctors. Joining us now is Dr. Christina Francis, chair of the board at APLOG. Dr. Francis, thanks for joining us. Could you start by just telling us about your recent conference? Thanks for having me, Prudence. Yes, it was an amazing weekend of gathering together um, nearly 200 medical professionals, like you said, in Nashville to really review the latest evidence that supports the pro-life position in medicine. And it was, you know, of course, wonderful to be able to be back together in person again and uh, encourage one another. And I think the most encouraging thing to me was uh, the number of uh, medical students, midwifery students, and other healthcare professional students that we had with us so that they could hear the evidence-based rationale for the pro-life position, specifically within the medical profession. Mm. And Christina, I know that you were joined by nearly 100 doctors at the U.S. Supreme Court during Dobbs' oral arguments. This case could overturn Roe versus Wade. How would this impact the goals and the mission of APLOG doctors? Absolutely. This is an exciting time uh, to be in the pro-life movement. As you just referenced, we had um, nearly 100 physicians and other medical professionals with us in front of the Supreme Court to really assert that abortion is not health care and that we support overturning Roe so that the, you know, the, the slaughter of innocent human beings is not sanctioned on a federal level, as well as the harm that abortion does to our patients. And so, we as pro-life medical professionals, and we talked a, a lot about this at our conference this past weekend, are very excited that um, our hands won't be tied by the Roe decision any longer, that we can um, advocate on a state level in the states that we practice in so that our patients can be protected from the harms of abortion. And the other area where I really see this making an impact in the medical profession is because abortion has been sanctioned for 50 years on a federal level, there's a lot of pressure on physicians in practice, but also medical students that are in training, um, that abortion is somehow a normal part of the practice of women's health care and that they should participate in being trained in that or refer for it if they're not going to perform abortions themselves. 
And what we really look forward to is a day where, you know, there are states that don't sanction abortion. And so that students can not only understand that this is not a normal part of practice. We know that more than 90% of OBGYNs do not perform abortions, but also so that students who are pro-life and don't desire to participate in any way in abortions will have places where they can go to train where they're not going to feel that pressure um, to do so and to violate their conscience. Mm, that's so important. And why is it important for physicians to understand that they're caring for two patients, the mother and the baby? And how do we impress this truth upon doctors who are currently pro-choice? Well, you know, I think that any physician who takes care of pregnant women, if they're being honest with themselves, they will acknowledge that they're taking care of two patients. It's one of the things about the field of OBGYN that I think most excites those of us who go into it. In fact, one of our speakers this weekend said exactly that, that he saw the challenge of caring for two patients at once um, to be so exciting that that's why he chose this field. So. You know, I think that every physician who takes care of a pregnant woman knows that they're taking care of two individual patients. And oftentimes um, that does present, like I said, an exciting challenge to maximize the health of both of those patients throughout the course of pregnancy. And this is not just a notion that, you know, we've come up with as physicians. This is supported by science. Mm. We know that the science is um, exceedingly clear that at the moment of fertilization, a new distinct and living human being comes into existence. And so when I'm caring for a woman in a high-risk pregnancy or even a normal pregnancy, my job is not just to take care of her, but to take care of her baby as well. And in fact, if I don't take care of her preborn child, I could have medical liability for not taking that second patient into account. Mm, that's a very interesting point. I want to shift gears for our last question. A few weeks ago, we spoke with APLOG member Dr. Dermot Carney about his efforts to challenge a court order that currently bans him from providing abortion pill reversal in the United Kingdom. He is a Catholic doctor. Could you explain briefly what abortion pill reversal is and give us an update on Dr. Carney's case? Absolutely. Abortion pill reversal is an exciting, um, not new anymore, actually, it's been around since 2011, but a treatment option that's available for women if they start the chemical abortion process and they take the first of the two medications and then change their mind and desire to save their baby. This is not forced on any woman, but it's something that should be available to women who regret their abortions and change their mind when they're in the middle of that process. And we know that this happens not infrequently. And so it basically just involves giving a woman natural progesterone, a hormone that her body makes anyways, but in slightly larger doses than what her body is making in order to counteract the effects of Mifeprex, that first medication in a chemical abortion. We know with um, data that's been collected over the last 11 years that uh, the success rate of that using the current regimen that we use is about 70%. And you compare that to if you do nothing. So if a woman takes that first medication but then doesn't take anything else, there's only about a 25% chance that her baby will survive. Mm. So this is life-saving treatment being offered to save preborn children, but also being offered to give hope to women who regret their abortion choice. And Dr. Carney um, was providing this in the UK, and unfortunately, the abortion industry filed complaints against him, and he ended up having his license restricted so that he could no longer perform this, this life-saving treatment. And uh, we were very honored to have him join us at our conference this past weekend. And 
Um, it sounds like there's going to perhaps uh, be some news coming very soon on the status of his case. And so we're just very supportive of any physician who desires to give their patient choices, to give their patient the choice of being able to save their preborn child. And certainly, uh, Dr. Carney's no exception. Mm, yes. Well, he's certainly in our prayers. And so are all pro-life doctors across the country and the world. Dr. Christina Francis, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we take a look into President Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and what her pro-abortion record may imply for the pro-life cause. I speak out. Plus, we speak to Nicole Caruso, author, beauty consultant, and mom, who shares tips on how our personal style can help us carry out God's mission every day. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. For this week's Speak Out segment, we took a closer look at Joe Biden's nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court, Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Here's what we found. I must begin these very brief remarks by thanking God for delivering me to this point in my professional journey. My life has been blessed beyond measure and I do know that one can only come this far by faith. Judge Jackson claims that her faith guides her. She was formerly a board member at Montrose Christian School, whose mission statement claims, quote, we should speak on behalf of the unborn and defend life from conception to natural death. However, she has abandoned these values and gone to bat for the abortion industry time and again in court. Her former clients include NARAL and the Abortion Access Project of Massachusetts, among others. The Biden administration claims that many people of faith support her, but Catholics on that list? They represent groups completely at odds with church teaching, such as Catholics for Choice. In the case McGuire versus Riley, Jackson advocated for the prevention of sidewalk counselors outside of abortion facilities by creating so-called buffer zones, violating the free speech of pro-life base staters. Make no mistake, with this nomination, President Biden is doubling down on an unfortunate promise to only appoint justices who support the undemocratic findings in Roe versus Wade. That is anything but just. Judge Jackson claims to love the Constitution and hopes to inspire, quote, future generations, but rejects our founding document's most important principle, that each one of us deserves to live. With that in mind, we should pray for the Senate to reject the nomination of Ketanji Brown-Jackson. And for this week's Pro-Life Focus, we speak with the author of Worthy of Wearing, geared towards young women. The book is part of a movement to, quote, teach you how to show up for yourself so you can carry out the mission God put on your heart at your baptism. In the book, author Nicole Caruso combines the idea of honing in on your personal style with St. Pope John Paul II's idea of the feminine genius. In doing so, she emphasizes that our clothing should always reflect, reflect our unique and inherent dignity as women, that the clothes we wear can help tell our story, hold important memories, and can equip us to be the best versions of ourselves. The book was published by the Sophia Institute Press in 2021. And joining us now is Nicole Caruso, professional makeup artist, beauty consultant, and author of Worthy of Wearing. Nicole, thanks for joining us. Could you tell us about your career before Worthy of Wearing, just to get started? Of course, thanks for having me. So uh, I started working as a makeup artist when I was 19 and just fell in love with helping women find little things that could make them feel confident 
And then from there, uh, traveled around a lot because my husband is in the military, but finally landed back where I was born, which was New York City. And there started working in different internships and temporary jobs in the fashion industry, um, in sales, working in showrooms, um, really getting a sense of what it was like to work right in the belly of the industry. And I was able to work for an American designer and also an Italian designer. So it was wonderful to see the two worlds and and see what it's really like because it was something I dreamed about my whole life. Mm, yes. um, and then I ended up leaving the industry uh, really to pursue motherhood. <laughs> mm. And can you speak about how um, that transition impacted you and how St. John Paul II's idea of the feminine genius played a role in this transition and designing this book? Well, working in the fashion industry was really eye-opening. I got to see sort of the way that they treat the clothes, the way that they treat the women, and sort of the um, idea behind all of it. And I just saw so much of how it truly is a business, um, driven very much by sales figures, and really was losing this dignity of women. And, and it was so unfortunate in seeing the way that different people were treated, and even myself, uh, just the way that I was treated in the office. And so I started to really contemplate what it was like working with women in makeup and said so these two things are so different here I'm on the one hand in fashion I feel like I'm trying so hard to make a difference and live with virtue um, and, and see the dignity of women here but it's so lost it's so given over to the world and then in working with makeup saw this total different contrast of how I was helping women just find that confidence to live out their daily life and so seeing those two things come together was really this idea behind my book, Worthy of Wearing, where I wanted women to find that happy medium, that integrated life of living a life of faith and putting their best foot out there so they can truly embrace that lovely feminine genius that St. John Paul II describes, that God-given dignity with all of our gifts and talents so we can truly make a difference in the world. Mm. And one thing that I found particularly interesting while I was reading through the book is the idea of editing your closet. Can you explain that concept? Yes, I think, you know, especially all of us Americans, we have so much excess, whether it's from gifts or just things we hold on to. And it's such an important concept to edit your closet down to things that you actually love, that work in your season of life, and that truly support your state in life. Uh, many times we have things in there that just don't work at all, and we end up taking so long to get dressed, and we end up sort of idolizing these clothes that we don't use at all. Um, so the concept of editing your closet is something I came up with. Uh, to help women just have that simplicity, uh, return to that simplicity, get up, get dressed, put on something that you feel great in, and then go about your day with much more confidence and truly having that inner peace. Mm. And Nicole, you and I both know we're all human, which means we can have a tendency to be inwardly focused and sometimes even vain. Can you speak to how we can successfully walk the line between mastering our personal style and becoming too focused on our outward appearance to the point that it becomes an unhealthy vanity? That's such a great question. I think the number one thing here is true authenticity and also balancing the spiritual with the physical. Um, am I putting too much of a focus on these external things or am I really spending that time in prayer, developing my prayer life, getting to know the voice of God, learning discernment, uh, because that's truly where you're going to hear his voice and you will start to know exactly when you're stepping on that line of vanity mm. and knowing when it's, when, you, when it's going too far. Mm. And finally, what's it like being a working mom and a homeschooling mom? I know you're expecting your fourth. Uh, what, what's your life like now? 
You know, I've actually really had to simplify quite a bit uh, recently, but it's just the biggest joy that I get to spend time with my children. I also homeschool them. So we're together a lot and it has just been the greatest blessing to watch them grow and learn right before my eyes, uh, especially teaching them in the faith. And it's just been a beautiful bonding experience for all of us. Um, but of course, the flexibility in homeschooling is that I can work from home and still work with women as a beauty consultant. So it's just so rewarding to get to use those gifts and talents I have both with my children and with other women. You're so empowering to all of us. Thank you so much. Nicole Caruso, author of Worthy of Wearing. Thank you for having me. As we await the Supreme Court's ruling in the Dobbs case, which has the potential to overturn Roe versus Wade, what will life after Roe look like in our nation? The debate will head to state legislatures. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. This week, EWTN looks at the pro-life struggle in Maryland, one of the states with the highest abortion rate in America. It's all part of a new series on our sister broadcast, EWTN News In-Depth, hosted by Monse Alvarado. A team of EWTN news reporters fanned out across the country, visiting both pro-life and pro-abortion states to help us understand what's next as we prepare for life after Roe. Monse will join us next week to discuss. In the meantime, you can watch the reports on EWTN News In-Depth, Friday at 8 p.m. with an encore on Sunday morning at 11. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.